once I started going on Instagram, I discovered all these fashion illustrators and artists that I thought, oh my gosh, people are actually putting out lots and lots of work that I want to do, you know, things that I want to do. Zenya here. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat all things arting with Sandra Shu. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash Xenia to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Sandra Shu is a Los Angeles-based artist and illustrator exploring figurative art, landscapes, and fashion illustration through her favorite media. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad Liz connected us. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can we start with just what brought you to art as a kid? As a kid, I I have this distinct memory of sitting on my grandparents' couch. Um, I I was born in Taiwan. I moved here when I was seven years old. So I uh, it was my grandparents' couch in Taiwan, and like reveling in this solitude because I had a younger sister at home. And um, so, but every once in a while I would get to go there and be alone with my grandparents and they would give me pens and paper and I would draw sitting on the couch, copying this manga princess off the cover of my pencil box. And it was just wonderful solitude. And, and I found I was good at it. So I kept doing it and it was a way to get away from um sort of the more noisy life at home. And, um, and I liked being alone too, and being able to do what I wanted to do, because at a young age, you know, there are a lot of things that you want to be able to do, but you're not necessarily good at it, but I was, I was pretty good at it. So. Yeah, no, totally. Did you pursue it through school and everything? Um, not really. I mean, like when I was younger, before I moved to the States, in Taiwan, it was, it was, school is very rigorous and there was not a lot of art involved at the time. And then, you know, in, um, in, when, once we moved here, the, uh, the art classes were just sort of more artsy craftsy. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, I did start learning to paint and I really loved it. And, had brief entertained brief thoughts of going to art school, but my parents being immigrants and, you know, always working hard to put food on the table and everything really (laughs) didn't think that was a great idea. (laughs) They wanted me to go to regular college, get a regular job. And, you know, art was something that you could do on the side if you wanted to. I understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I ended up, um, getting a degree in psychology and I 
have no desire to pursue it. Even studying it, I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I want to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so can you just tell us about, so you, you started working for your father and then mm-hmm. starting your own business on the side. What was that like? Yeah. So, um, actually I, um, so I did, I ended up going to school for fashion design because that was actually technically an artsy field, but it was a trade. Right. Okay. And so, um, when I first it's somehow when I left college, I convinced my, I, I showed my designs to my, my father and he was like, wow, these are actually really good. And he's like, well, you know what? I'll, you know, give you the seed money to start your own business. And there's an office right next door and you can use this office. So, uh, I started out, you know, doing everything myself, of course, cutting patterns and, and, um, making sketches, buying fabric and running all over town, all the while. But like, I would be cutting a pattern on the floor and his phone would ring and I'd have to run across the hall, pick up the phone and, you know, put on my business voice and and say, oh, you know, Unix Industries, may I help you? <laughs> Things like that. And uh, I set up his invoicing system because believe it or not, this was a long time ago. He was still handwriting invoices for his customers at the time. So that was that was interesting. I was working a lot. You know, being a fashion designer, especially when you're doing on your own, requires a lot of hours. And then doing his office work at the same time. It, you know, when you're in your twenties, you just kind of put your head, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> you yep. kind of put your head down and go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and then, um, after that, uh, I did, I did do my own line for three years, but it was backbreaking work. It was really, I was literally doing everything myself. And, um, I did have a sales rep, but otherwise I was, you know, taking the fabric here and having it cut and sewn there and then moving, transporting it, doing all the shipping myself. And so um, after three years, it was, I was exhausted. And at the same time, my father became ill and um, really almost immediately couldn't go into work uh, very often anymore. And so I decided to leave the fashion design business behind and took over in the family importing business. Yeah. How did you maintain the motivation and momentum to keep going for three years, doing everything yourself? Because I do get like, I do everything myself for the most part. It's exhausting. It really is. It really is. And um, well, okay. You have to understand this is like the late eighties, early nineties. Right. And um, I'm in my twenties. So it was really a lot of caffeine and nicotine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so many cups of coffee on the floor. <laughs> See, I don't drink coffee. I don't like the taste. So uh-huh. I'm, I don't do caffeine. And I'm just like, how do I stay awake this many hours a day without <laughs> right. caffeine? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, like now I probably be, you know, asking my doctor for an Adderall prescription or something like that. But back then, all I knew was caffeine. It, you know, it started out with no something called no dose in college, which was basically, I don't know, caffeine pills. <laughs> oh my God. Or like, you know, five hour energy, probably I, I would be on that. <laughs> Maybe I should try that now because I'm so busy now. I'm exhausted. <laughs> okay. So talk to us about 
the transition from running your father's business, how long you were in that, you were in that role to then mm-hmm. branching out and creating your own business. Okay, so the, my father's business was, I mean, it was so completely away from my artistic life. I was running logistics actually shipments and, um, you know, uh, managing shipments and, and, and cargo and clearing customs and things like that. Um, so I thought I had lost all of my artistic ability. I mean, I really, I, I would sometimes do sketches for our clients of the products that they wanted, but they were very basic linear sketches and I was never happy with them, with them because I was doing them so seldom. Um, and then 20 years later, um, finally we, uh, my, I was in the family business with my sister and finally we got to the point where she, she realized that I was not happy and that I was doing it basically when you're, when you're from a, a Chinese family, there's a lot of familial guilt um, involved. And, you know, she realized that, that I was staying not because this, this was what I wanted and this was what was best for me or my family, but because out of a sense of familial obligation. So at one point, and it was, I believe it was after both my parents had passed away. She said, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And, um, and I realized, I really don't. And I um, took some, I stepped away and, and, and I still didn't transition back into art until a few years later. I was spending time with my kids who were becoming teenagers at the time, but as they got older and become, became more independent, um, someone said, hey, you want to take an art class with me? You know, there were other moms my age who were going through the same thing. And, and they said, you know, you want to take an art class with me? And when I did it, it was like a whole world opened up. I, I was just so much happier all of a sudden. And um, even though at the time I was just doing it once a week and still had a lot of uh, kid things to do, like driving to sports games and things like that. But um, I felt like the beginnings of that artistic spark come back. Um, and then at, each year as my kids became more independent, I spent more time on art and um, eventually decided to start sharing it on Instagram and got more exposure. Um, yeah. And kind of started taking off from there. Yeah. I was going to ask about Instagram and how social media helped you with, with your journey to grow. Yeah. You know, as an, as a visual artist, and I think a lot of visual artists tend to be more, shy about using their voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, because we express ourselves in a different way. And I, I, I don't even like to pick up the phone to order takeout. <laughs> I'm like, you need to email me or text me. Do not call me. I will not answer. <laughs> That's so amazing because you have this podcast. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I've, when I found Instagram, I mean, I had been on Facebook for a while, but, you know, just with my friends, when I just got, what? oh yeah, my son, actually, I believe my younger son set up my Instagram account for me. And he was like, you know, he, he picked a name for me and it wasn't, it wasn't the handle that I have now, which is Sandra Shoe Art, but it was just my, my initials. And for some reason it was SHH301. And he, he wrote my profile bio and, 
you know, and and it just said mom. <laughs> That's your only role. <laughs> um, but once I started going on Instagram, I discovered all these fashion illustrators and artists that I thought, oh my gosh, people are actually putting out lots and lots of work that I want to do, you know, things that I want to do. And so that, that helped me, that helped inspire me. And then, um, once I had more time, I decided, you know, I'm going to post on Instagram more regularly in order to keep myself accountable. And, you know, I don't know. It, it was at a time when the algorithm was different and people started paying attention and, you know, people talk to each other probably even a little more than they do now on Instagram. And, um, oh, and I found this actually this is going to segue into what I'm doing now. Really. I found this account called draw a dot, which is uh, like a fashion illustration community. And it was founded by um, a Canadian um, named Marcus Kahn, who just loved fashion illustration. He started sharing, sharing fashion illustrators that he liked. And he started hosting these open calls, basically these competitions where you know, he would pick a fashion collection and and um, invite anybody who wanted to to submit work that was or that was inspired by that collection. And then at the end of the period of you know, um, like three weeks or something, he would choose his top nine. And because he had a he he had built a big following, it, he got exposure for a lot of illustrators, and and more and more people were um, entering the competitions. And I was like well, this is another way to keep myself accountable. And, um, you know, and it also helped me to hone my, my art because, you know, it's a long way from drawing a pretty princess from the pencil box onto a piece of paper to making a piece that actually says something that, and uh, the open calls from Mark is really, you know, he, he asked us to think, not just copy something. He asked us to tell a story to, makes make it interesting in some way and so that helped me to find my voice a little more as an illustrator as an artist and um you know explore d different um ways of getting the message across and as i started getting picked for those competitions you know being picked for the top nine in the uh competitions um i got more attention as well and you know because they were for fashion brands fashion brands you know sometimes we would post them and little by little, the following grew. So that was a great way that Instagram really helped me um, develop as an artist, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, and I, I read that article on Draw Dot that you sent. And oh, my gosh, it's so, so amazing. I like followed them on Instagram and everything. I was like this. Yeah. Like, I'm here for this. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, I, and and believe so. Actually, so now Marcus, who founded Draw Dot, is like, I said, Marcus, I can't believe four years ago when I entered that first competition, I never would have thought you'd be become one of my BFFs. Actually, four years later, you know, because it's a faceless person. You know, on Instagram, a certain accounts they're just a faceless uh, account because it's it's more of a an art-based account as opposed to an influencer or something like that. I didn't really know 
who he was and what he was about. But now really because of the project that we just did in the last month, um, I feel, I don't know if Marcus will agree to this, but I feel very (laughs) close to him. (laughs) Isn't it so weird how that can happen? Like you just like get connected to somebody. I've had this experience where I'm just like, how have I survived without this person in my life? <laughs> you know, it's like, like, like kindred spirits or like soul sisters or something. And I'm just like, but I haven't even known you that long. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, the connection, it's cool. there's a chemistry, right? Yeah. 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 The chemistry between Marcus and I and the two illustrators who also uh, created this Share Your Asian Story project is really amazing. Really, yeah. we... We love each other. And the other two uh, illustrators, I I met them, I think, four weeks ago. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. (laughs) That's so funny. On Zoom. On Zoom, too. (laughs) Not in life. (laughs) On Zoom. (laughs) Literally all of my connections, okay, not all, but like 99% of my connections are through Zoom. Like, I I haven't met anybody in person. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you had a previous in real life life <laughs> uh, a little bit <laughs> i joke i'm like quarantine my life didn't change that much <laughs> i was still just you know chilling in my apartment <laughs> so do you want to share about what share your asian story is i would love to it's become this passion project for me and for all of us i think the four of us um So uh, back in the beginning of February, there were all those videos of the elders being um, pushed and and harmed because of the coronavirus epidemic. And there was a, you know, it, it was tragic. One of the elders was killed because he was pushed from behind and you could see it on video. He was just minding his own business and he got pushed from behind. He hit his head and died a few days later. And that just really, you know, just like I believe the Black Lives Matter movement, when you see it on video, it's so much more visceral and it affects you so much more than reading it in the newspaper or something like that. And so that really affected me. And um, I decided I had, and literally a couple weeks before that I had just joined clubhouse at a friend's invitation. And I went on clubhouse to listen in a room where people were talking about what was happening and the violence against Asians. And I happened to screenshot the room that I was in. And one of the speakers was a a young woman named Tammy Cho who had founded an organization called hate is a virus, which was um, trying to help, fight against racism um, and it, she and she and the other founder were Asian, but they were trying to fight all sorts of race, racism, but in particular Asians who had been targeted, Asian businesses who had suffered because of the st- stigma attached to um, Asians because of the virus and the, and the epidemic or the pandemic. And um, so she actually mess and I shared it in my stories and she messaged me and said, thank you for attending. And I said, as an illustrator, I would love to be able to amplify this movement, amplify the voices that I heard in the room today. And um, she said, sure, you know, at some point I, we will, you know, something like, 
at some point that would be great. We'll reach out. But she was actually super, you know, obviously very busy with a lot of these, these things going on. So, um, and then, so I said to Marcus, we should really, we should do something, you know? And I said, how about if I, if I hook you up with Tammy, because he has a, he has a, a whole, um, a whole list of illustrators that are very talented and also that, you know, they have a whole bunch of different styles. And so he said, sure. Yeah. Hook me up. And the two of them started emailing and the Hades virus organization started emailing and he came together with this idea of doing a campaign, asking the illustration community to come up with illustrations to support Asians. And, but they were kind of dragging their feet and Marcus was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Then, but then something personal happened to him. He's in Canada. So, right. He, he wasn't experiencing, they weren't experiencing the violence that was happening, but, and he thought, well, this is an Asian American issue, but um, something happened where he was actually cyberbullied for something that he did. And it, it had these racist overtones and all of a sudden it really came home to roost for him. And he was like, you know what? I want to launch this project ourselves. We can't wait for Hades virus. If I don't, if they want to jump on board later on, that's great. But I think we should do something together. And he said to me, and you know, I would love for you to do the launch, uh, the launch, the campaign launch image. And he said, I'm going to ask these two other Asian American illustrators to jump on board as well. So we decided we were going to do a launch date of March 9th. And the week before that, Instagram had come out with the feature of uh, having group lives, you know, where you can have four people on a live. And um, we thought, hey, this is perfect. It's the four of us. So the day we put out our images, let's go on Instagram live and talk about the project. And we thought, oh, you know, a few people will come. Yeah, a few people came, but like it ended up, people really connected that with, with the message that we were putting out across. Oh yeah, actually before that, I want to go before that. Um, we were, when we were coming up with the idea for the campaign, we were trying to think of a positive way of, um, of fighting racism instead of, and Marcus was very, you know, he was very clear. He said, I don't want to necessarily use the word violence or the word hate because those are very negative words and let's come up with a positive uh, message. And so we were brainstorming and we thought, you know, if when you um, are racist, you, you have a stereotype that you hold about us, about everybody in a race. But if you um, know an individual story, you can't really necessarily have a stereotype against them because once you see a person as a, as an individual, they're not a stereotype. They're they have all these different qualities that that don't fit in in the right box. So we came up with the idea: share your Asian story because everybody has a different story. We're just we're not just one all inclusive race, and um, so that's how we came up with the hashtag. Anyway, flash forward to the day we did the launch and the video, people started submitting work right away and messaging us and saying, we love what you said because the four of us had a chemistry and we all shared our personal little stories about 
um, racism, racism that we had encountered and how we felt as Asian Americans. And um, so all of a sudden, people were contacting us and saying, thank you for sharing. We loved it. And um, some people actually said, well, if I'm not an artist, how do I contribute to this campaign? And, and you know, and I, and so I went back to Marcus and the illust other illustrators. I said, what if we did an interview series, you know, and, and ask people who don't necessarily paint or draw or write or take photographs to share in that way? Uh, because I personally knew a lot of people who felt that way. And Marcus said, well, I'm really busy with this fashion illustration account. And the other two illustrators, one has three kids who are all under 10. And then the other one um, has a lot of, you know, she has actually a lot of work <laughs> um, on a daily basis. Good for her. <laughs> She's very talented. <laughs> so, and they said, well, if you want to do it, let's, you, you run with it. So, Last Sunday, literally nine days ago or 10 days ago, I, I said, all right, I'm launching this account. And I asked my friend who's Asian and a celebrity chef, and she had written this amazing story to be our first interview. So on Sunday, I launched the account. And on Tuesday, the Atlanta spa shootings happened. Mm. And just the outpouring of emotion and work and you know illustrations that we received just it was just it was you know overwhelming and wonderful and actually what's happened is um one of the illustrations created by not an asian artist but an ally she's She's based in London and she's Russian, but she created a beautiful illustration with a mask um, that says hate is a virus across it. That has become sort of the image of the movement, the Stop Asian Hate movement. Every, I don't know if you've seen it, but everybody has shared it across social media. And it was created for our, you know, like in response to our project. Um, and then I just want to share that like, you know, every time we go on to talk about the, the um, you know, how we feel, more and more people have connected and, and felt the need, felt that it's okay to raise their voice and to share their stories. And it's become this amazing passion project for me. I can't, I haven't slept for more than four hours in the last, like, <laughs> 10 days. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, no, sharing stories is so, so powerful and inspiring and empowering. That's one of the reasons that I started this podcast, because I'm like, we rarely hear the behind the scenes journeys. You know, we'll see the finished product. We'll see, you know, what what was the ultimate result, but we rarely hear the stories that led there. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, it's, it's so powerful to share, to share our stories. And I love that you have so many different ways to do that and to bring people together and connect because yes. yeah, someone may not want to, you know, share their story in words, but they may want to do it through art mm -hmm. vice versa. So it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I just want to share like a, 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 an interesting story of what happened. Um, and it's just amazing. The, the, the power of community, right? So uh, one of our friends, one of, 
I guess my friends and Marcus's friends is a fashion blogger. And when we started the Share Your Asian Story account, he posted in his story said, you know, here's a place for my Asian friends. If you want to share your story, uh, you know, follow the account. And one of his friends and one of his followers in France followed us immediately. And she shared it with her friend who is a musician. And her the musician contacted me and said, hey, I released the song in December about shattering Asian stereotypes. Feel free to use it in any way you would like. Oh my God. And, and I was like, Oh, this song is amazing. This, this, this girl, she, she, she raps in Chinese and French and English on it. It's, and the rhythm is awesome. And I was like, wow. And then at the same time, another friend of mine had, had just been very hurt and angry about everything that's been going on. And she's a physician. She's a radiation oncologist, but we dance together. We take dance classes together. She's, she reached out to some of us who danced together and said, let's make a dance video, you know, to protest what's going on. And, and she's like, I want to do this. And she, she had sent a very sort of heavy rap song, which had the same theme, but it wasn't danceable. And I said, wait, Therese just sent me this song. And, you know, I was like, Therese, can we, can we use this for our video? And she said, sure. And so, I mean, this literally came together the day before yesterday. We, and then we asked our choreographer friend to meet us in the parking lot down the street. And she asked her friend, the videographer, and we, she, we choreographed it on the spot, threw it together. And then I got contacted by a, 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 um, a company that's putting together actually a big now a big social uh, media event that's happening next week, and they're go they're looking for content, um, you know, to combat anti uh, Asian sentiment in the U.S. They, they have a lot of celebrities um, lined up, but they're looking for content to fill in the spaces. And they asked if they could use our video, so I'm now connecting this artist in France with this company here and, you know, and my dance friends are involved and ever it, like, it's just this whole warm feeling of connection and, and support that I would have never found if I hadn't started doing this. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. That yeah. also, it really speaks to how much people want to mobilize and want to spread love and like positive messages of hope and community like that. I literally have chills just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a very exciting, exciting time. And um, yeah. And especially, and to, to hear the stories from the art, young artists who, you know, not only submit beautiful work or, um, you know, like little comics and things, about the little incidents that had that happened to them and then they had never shared before or the parents who shared stories about their kids experiencing racism it's it's been in some ways um difficult because unlike my own because it's streaming into me constantly i can't put it away right now um it's it's hard but also connecting with everybody is, is been a wonderful experience and, and feeling and having them feel like they have a place to share their stories and to um, open up about what's been going on that they've been keeping suppressed for so long. It, it's been a great 
a feeling to be able to do that, to provide that platform. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So, so important. Yeah. yeah. What's your artistic process like? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I have, a, I have a bunch of different things that I do. So one of the things that I do is like for, for my fashion illustrations, I do tend to sort of follow that uh, initial uh, draw dot lead of wanting to create a beautiful story around the the fashion piece, you know? And also I will like look for inspiration and, and images that I like, for instance, there was a, a Mary Katransu, who's a Greek designer based in London um, collection, which had a very fairy tale like feel. So I ran with fairy tale and I, and I looked up as many images of fairy tale stories and, you know, just thought of, Hans Christian Andersen or the Grimm brothers. And um, eventually I was, I would just collect images all over from Pinterest. And then I would start like, you know, culling the images. And I came up with the story of Thumbelina and I put the, the, the illustration, put the model, made the model Thumbelina, which is a story of a little teeny tiny girl on a lily pad, you know, being rescued by a butterfly. And so that is how I create sort of my fashion story illustrations. I also um, have done a lot of live sketching at um, parties and um, events. And um, so for that, it's just about documenting things as quickly as you can. So I, I do tend to work in a different way that way. You know, I just gesturally do what I can in the limited amount of time that I, that I have. And um, in some ways that looseness is very, is what I'm trying to go for a, a lot. Um, I would love to be able to move in that direction um, somewhere in the middle in between, right? Because I'm not super convinced that uh, what I come up with in that short of short period of time is exactly um, is at the level that I, that I'm happy with. The customers are always usually are always very happy. If you have the right hairstyle and the right outfit, you know, they're, they don't even need to have a face on their, on their illustration. They're like, Hey, that's me. <laughs> that's my hair. And that's my outfit. That's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I want to go somewhere in between, right. Between like ultra realistic and, you know, basically a cartoon. So I'm, I'm, I'm still working on that. And then I also have, I also work in, I also do abstract art where um, I, I met an artist who basically uses, who, who teaches artist therapy, who uses art as a way for people to express their feelings, um, to work through emotions. And um, she invited me over one time to do a, a joint uh, painting session. And she gave me prompts like, you know, hold this thought or let go of this thought and see what happens. Let's play music and see what happens. And that was so different from all the other work that I had done before, which was like, think about it really hard before you put anything down on paper. <laughs> So um, the abstract art, I love doing it. And um, it's a completely different way of, of working. I just, I do tend to pick like three or four colors 
that I, I decide beforehand what I'm what colors I'm going to use. But otherwise, it's just letting water and pigment flow on paper. And then afterwards, after it all dries, um, I go in and I use ink to sort of define what's happening in there. And it, it always turns out completely different every time. And it come in it. It's completely unpredictable, but it's therapeutic as well. Yeah. And one of my, actually one of my favorite commissions was, was a large abstract piece that I did. I love so, that. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like freedom and like the art kind of just sometimes has its own journey and a mind of its own. And it's yeah. really fun to like see where it can go. Yeah. Water color, especially, you know, water flows. I mean, as as you learn about it, you can predict that, yeah, it's going to go down if you tilt the paper a certain way, but otherwise, but it will go sideways when you least expect it to. And, you know, it's got its own path. And that's, that's what's fun about watercolor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there... Anything else I want to ask? Well, okay. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to share? Let's see. Um, let's see. Do I? I think. I think there was something about. I think you did ask something about. Oh yeah, you know I do have. I don't know. This is not necessarily like a painting or art process story, but um, one of my favorite stories about Instagram, actually I'm talking, I, I, I'm going to talk about the, that painting I was talking about where I was inspired to do a Thumbelina illustration. Yeah. It was, it's, I'm going to, it, it kind of neatly t- ties up my experience in a package. Um, I had been entering those, open calls and not having much success. And I, and that's when I first realized, oh, I need to tell a story with my art instead of just making a p- pretty picture. And so I drew, I, I did the research, I did my drawing and I realized I misunderstood the deadline and that it was due, you know, basically within the, within 24 hours and I hadn't even started painting. Oh my God. <sighs> So I shared just the drawing, just the pencil line drawing on Instagram and said, oh, I missed it. I'm going to miss the deadline. I, I haven't even started painting yet. And one follower from Africa, from Kenya, just responded to the image and said, oh, it's such a pretty drawing. It, it would be shame not to finish. And that one comment made me pull an all-nighter. And I still remember it was a Super Bowl Sunday and my, my husband had like eight people over and he was like, you're not going to join us. And I'm like, no, I have to finish this painting. <laughs> so I finished the painting, submitted it literally, you know, a minute before it was due. Oh my First God. time I was ever chosen as one of the top illustrations for that competition. That painting led to people contacting me like for, you know, to be included in books, in, in, you know, interviews and magazines. Um, I sold like bunch of prints and um, 
that I started a friendship with that artist, that, that girl in Kenya who at the time was in fashion school. And she, I think she was going to be a fashion designer, but then she, I was, I said, why don't you have any images of your, because we were talking about illustration. I said, why don't you have any images of illustration in your account? She barely had a few photos of herself. And I said, why don't you share? And she said, well, I am afraid my work's not good enough. And, and I said, and this is one of my favorite quotes that I, that I read somewhere and I don't even know where it came from. It's, it's, it says, um, if you don't like your work, it's because your ability has not caught up to your taste level. Ooh. If you keep, yes, isn't that so profound? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> if you keep working at it, eventually they will. And so I said that to, to her and I said, you know, and if you don't put it out there, you won't hold yourself accountable. Just put it out there. And if, if you don't like it, eventually one day you will. And I think it's been three or four years, three or four years since we, we had that talk. And she occasionally would send me work. What do you think of this? And we've, we struck up a, a, a dialogue. Right. And um, she is so successful now. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you. She That's, decided oh, to become a fashion illustrator and she had decided to highlight African brands. And she is like, I'm just amazed. She graduated from, um, from school, I think a year or two ago. I'm not sure exactly when, but like, I mean, she's been working steadily. And, and, you know, when I, sometimes when I contact her, I'm like, Hey, you want to, you know, join Clubhouse and, and, and we can talk there. And she's like, no, I can't. I have so much work to do. I can do it next week. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so excited for her. That's amazing. Um, side note, do you want to connect me with her? I would love to have her on the podcast. Yes, if she wants to be. Oh my God. She's yeah. fantastic. That'd be amazing. I would love to hear her story. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you find sometimes when you're thinking about like the message you want to you want to portray and tell to find that sometimes you have so many messages that like it's hard like it can get so scattered I'm this way 100% as I'm like talking about share your Asian story I'm like oh my god you sound like you're completely scattered (laughs) no it was so beautiful oh my gosh I hope like, I hope that Marcus doesn't tell me later on if he listens to this podcast, like Sandra, what were you thinking? (laughs) You know what though, some days be like that and it's okay. Actually, you know what? One of your questions I remember was, um, let's see, I think I, I did, I I did do my work. I, I did write down a response to one of your questions was, um, about you know sharing your sharing your voice through art instead of speaking right yeah uh-huh and um where did i put that though of course now i can't find it because i didn't <laughs> highlight it but anyway um i feel like because i i don't think linearly and speaking is a very linear process you can't start at the beginning and then skip to the end and then go back to the middle and then skip in between 
and have it make any sort of sense. That's why when I try to talk, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's why visual art is such a great way, better way for me to express myself because you can either immerse yourself in the whole experience. You can start at one end and, and move to the other if you want. You can skip around and eventually you put the picture together for yourself. And I think that's why it works so well for me. And I didn't actually work out the answer to that question until I, I saw it and I was like, hmm, let me think about this. Yeah. But that's how it works for me. That's 100%. why visual art is, is a great form of expression for me. I think sometimes like words just get in the way. I was talking to somebody about this, like words just like, they're not always going to be the right tool and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think for some people, words flow easily. And uh, I, I like, I want to say, I literally had a conversation with my husband yesterday. He was like, so tell me about the color wheel. <laughs> and he did not know that red, blue, and yellow were the primary colors. Like he does not have that vocabulary, right? And so I'm teaching him and he's a very cerebral person and very, very intelligent, but he didn't have any of that knowledge. And so I have a very, I have a visual vocabulary, but he has an extremely verbal vocabulary to the point where he can win any argument with me. So some people are that way, but you know, Obviously, you and I feel differently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll be like trying to tell a story and then like random pieces of information will get thrown in there and then like I'll get distracted. or It's, it's fine. Yeah. You know what? I'll get there at some point. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're distractible. That's why yeah. it's easier to go at our own pace and just say, here, I'm done now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is, it's hilarious that I have a podcast. and you have like this meandering guest that's just like you (laughs) but you know what those are like the best episodes to me like I love just seeing where episodes and conversations go last week um (laughs) one of my friends was on and we're talking about art he's a working actor in LA and we're talking you know talking about that we also talked about Star Trek we also talked about bootlegging sand. We also <laughs> talked about like getting honked at. Like there's so many like tangents that happened. <laughs> bootlegging what? Uh, sand. When I was 18, I was in Florida visiting my aunt and uncle and uh, I wanted to bring back sand. So I on the plane in my carry-on, I had a bag of sand and I got stopped by the TSA, obviously. <laughs> And so he at the I was telling him this story and he was like, so you're a bootlegger of sand. <laughs> yes. Contraband sand. Yep. That's how I roll. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And sand is like the heaviest substance to carry. It's ridiculous in terms of like a small volume versus, I mean, like a small bag of sand weighs a lot. <laughs> That's yeah, so I'm pretty cool. sure I had like a gallon sized bag. Oh my gosh. But the funniest thing was the the TSA guy. He's like looking through the bag and just like talking to me. And then he just goes, oh, I know what this is. You're fine. 
Like, yeah, I've seen this before. Go ahead. Sam, <laughs> 18 year old girl, just go. Oh my God, it's so funny. But why like a big bag? I mean, like, why you ha- why did you have like a have a gallon size thing? Sam? I would think just a little scoop would be enough. So me in my infinite wisdom at 18 was like, well, I'm going back to Massachusetts and it's the middle of February. So I need all of the sand. (laughs) That was my wisdom. That's it. (laughs) Oh my God. That's too funny. That is too funny. At least I'm entertaining. My stories can be funny. <laughs> I think you should start a sand collection. <laughs> I used to collect napkins. That was my <gasps> my collection when I was a kid. I collected napkins. Are you kidding me? My no. son used to collect napkins. Wait, really? Yes. It's so, oh my gosh. It brought me so much joy. I would get made fun of so much, but I loved it. <laughs> you had everything in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> Oh my God, that is so crazy. My son used to collect collect napkins. But then he would keep, so he's, you know, like me, a little scattered. I think my husband's not not that way, but both my kids are a little, have ADHD and I think I'm undiagnosed. But he would start his collection, collect like three or four napkins, and then he would lose the bag. (laughs) And then he would have to start over. (laughs) I had them all in this box. I had a lot. I had a lot of napkins and I remember trying to like, like do a scrapbook one time and like put them all in like, in That's almost a like idea. a photo album. But then yeah. that like trying to organize it made me lose interest. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know where they are anymore, <laughs> but that was so much fun. I had good ones too. Wow. I, yeah. From They're all probably over. somewhere in the trash, but yeah. From all over the country. Mm-hmm. That's like great. everywhere I would go I just like can I have a napkin and people would be like why <laughs> can I collect them no but it's a great collection because it's so portable and lightweight yeah you know? unlike sand <laughs> unlike sand <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> Okay, so uh, I'd love to jump to final five speed round. Okay. So question one, what's been your favorite piece to create? Um, definitely the large abstract commission that I did. Um, I think it was two years ago. And uh, this family had a large, they have a large family. and But everybody was, was, you know, lived in different parts of the country. And so, um, but they had, they always came back for, you know, holidays and they wanted a piece in the room where they all gather, you know, it's, and you know, that feeling of togetherness in, in that particular, in their family room, the mom commissioned the piece. And so I said, yeah, she wanted an abstract piece. I said, so give me a word that you want me to hold in my, heart while I'm creating this piece. And she said, gather. And, um, and she's like, I want it to be big because it needs to go onto this wall. And I had never worked that big before. I, I usually watercolor. I'm usually, you know, table size, you know, nine by 12, 16 by 20 at the most. And she's like, big, big, big. And I was scared, but you know, I went and got the paper 
I, you know, I had to go on the floor because it didn't fit on my, on my easel or my table. And I took my inks out and I was like, it was just flowing. And I, I came back in and I was scared to start, but when I came back in, I said to my husband, I have never felt so happy in my life as when I created that piece. It was just the color and the feeling of gathering. And it, it was just a joyful, joyful feeling for me. So, and they loved it as well. So, you know, that's my favorite piece. That's amazing. Uh, what's one thing you'd tell an artist just starting out? Um, sure. Show your work as soon as you, as soon as possible. Don't worry about it being good. You'll always get better. Like, like that quote that I said before, if you don't like it, it's just because your ability hasn't caught up. And if you don't keep doing it, um, your ability will never catch up. So show your work and keep doing it. What's something you would tell your past self? Uh, uh, get started earlier. <laughs> I waited. I think I was in my late forties before I started painting again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so I'm 26 and I'm like, I'm so far behind. No. It, it, <laughs> actually, and then the, actually the other thing is it's never too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I'm, I'm 55 now. And, um, this is really has, has been the most exciting five years of my life, really. I love that. <laughs> uh, question four, what's your favorite medium? Um, definitely watercolor. Uh, it's, it's challenging and, it's, and it captures light like nothing else. And uh, it's unpredictable. So I'm still learning about it every day. And if you could do it again, is there anything you would do differently? Um, yeah, I, I like again. I don't know because the time with my kids really was precious to me as well, and I needed to devote my full time to that. So I, I feel like I've had so many different lives now, and you know, maybe not. I think I, I really like where I am now, and um, I'm glad things happened the way they did. Amazing. And thank thanks you so to my much. amazing husband who's been supportive through all of this and supported me financially as well. So that I feel free to explore my personal passion. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for chatting with us. Oh my gosh. It's thank been you. absolutely amazing to connect and chat with you. Thank you. So nice to meet you. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Family, you can connect with Sandra on Instagram and through her website. Both links will be in our episode description. Uh, Check it out. Support, purchase and commission artwork. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.